So as you start tacking on all these discounts, I realized that I was saving anywhere between 30 to 80% of the retail cost of just walking into, let's say, Lowe's or Home Depot. And all that stuff really added to the point that a $120,000 house that was uh, at a price that we ended up building our house for a little over $50,000. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. And do you want to learn how to save 30 to 80% on everything you buy for your tiny house? Well, this is the interview for you. My guests, Stephen and Sarai, tell their story of downsizing from a 2,000-square-foot house and a life of overconsumption to a beautiful 350-square-foot mega-tiny house on wheels. This interview is full of creative and useful tips for saving money on your build. So if you're on a budget, you won't want to miss my full conversation with Stephen and Sarai. Don't forget to subscribe to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast in Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. When you subscribe, it ensures that you'll get each new episode of the show when it comes out on Friday mornings each week. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Your reviews help other people find the show and ultimately help us make more episodes of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. All right, let's get to my interview with Stephen and Sarai. All right, welcome to the show. Stephen and Sarai are owners and self-builders of a mega tiny house and creators of livingtinyinla.com, which helps people aspiring to live tiny by helping them evaluate all the financial considerations. They transitioned out of their big house and corporate jobs by getting rid of 80% of their belongings, saving $50,000 on their tiny house on wheels build, and lowering their living expenses by 70%. Stephen and Sarai, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. You're so welcome. So I wanted to start because I know that Stephen was a corporate finance guy and wouldn't necessarily be the type that I would envision living in a tiny house. So Sarai, I know that you were the person who kind of convinced the family to make this transition. How did you do it? Well, it started really about maybe three, four years ago or so, probably four years by now, um, where I did a challenge of I won't buy anything new for a year. And the reason for that was just I wanted to minimize my closet a little bit. It was getting out of control and I thought I was spending a lot of money on clothes and items that I didn't necessarily need. So I did that challenge and and that's really what started everything. I realized um, that I didn't need so much. So from there it grew to, well, not just my closet, but other things around the house. And that's when I brought it up to Steven and said, hey, look, you know, we can we can minimize. We don't need to live with so much stuff. We can save some money. We can maybe clean a little bit less around the house and try to get him on board. But in the beginning, he really wasn't having it. He was more of the it didn't work for me. <laughs> He's a, a he was more of a pack rat at the time. We had a three, uh, two car, two and a half car garage that we couldn't walk through because it was so full of things, and it was just overwhelming for him to even think of where to start. So what I I decided to do is just go at it on my own in the beginning. So aside from that first year of doing that by myself, of you know not buying anything new for a year, 
I uh, just started getting rid of my own personal things and then things around the house that I uh, didn't think that he would miss or he would need. And he started noticing, oh, things are cleaner. Oh, you're happier. Wow, look, our savings are actually growing a little bit more, a little bit faster. And that allowed the conversation to get started on his things. So he started slowly. He started with a drawer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was incredibly, incredibly difficult for me. I mean, a little bit background on me. So I, I immigrated from uh, South America, from Colombia, when I was about eight, nine years old, and grew up in New York, but grew up in, in very, very poor in New York. And then as I started going to school and started figuring out what I wanted to do, I figured out that I wanted to make money. So I got into finance and then started working up the corporate ladder. And I started collecting more and more and more stuff. And that to me was a sense of value i gave a lot of value to money so when sarai made this transition into hey why don't we start getting rid of stuff that we don't need to me it was like what are you talking about i, I paid money into this how am i going to get rid of it and so that transition was definitely difficult to where we are today well that's amazing and and i i love that lesson that it sounds like sarai just decided to start making the change in herself first and not saying, oh, you have to get rid of all your your shirts that you're not wearing or like you have to clean out the garage. She just started on her own things and kind of led by example. Correct. And I think him seeing how it was benefiting me and then the family. Um, at the time, we had um, my dad living with us. We also have a seven-year-old now. So he was you know, younger back then. So we had a little boy. And we also had um, Stephen's uh, younger sister living with us at the house. So I was actually able to get them on board before I got Stephen on board as well. Um, just getting rid of things. And once he saw how everybody was just doing well with it and that we didn't really need it and that when he did need something that he had packed in the in the garage, he couldn't access it because he didn't remember where it was or it was just too complicated to get to. That really was what spurred him to get started on it. Yeah. And another key transition or live experience that happened was um, about three years ago, two years ago, I got I got laid off from my corporate job. Um, and it was one of those things that we started talking more about it. And we wanted to just take some time off. I had gotten a severance package uh, through the deal and took six months off. And then that six months turned into a year. And then that year turned into a year and a half before I started actually trying to get back into the corporate world. But we realized that the lifestyle change that we did during there was also a key uh, influencer to making this change because we started living obviously I started spending a lot more time with our son we started doing more and more things together as a married couple and we started realizing that there was a lot more power um, and influence in all those in that lifestyle that we had versus the corporate hardcore nine to five well, you, weekends you did like seven to nine yes kind of I did hours. a lot of traveling working and um so, you know, once we got into a taste of that type of lifestyle, it was like, okay, you know, maybe how can we sustain it with one income? And that's how the 
thought of getting rid of everything and selling our house. We had a home, we had a 2000 square foot home. We also had another property that we leased out and we were, our, our goal at the time was to just acquire more property and keep going that route. Um, but once we got a taste of this and we figured how do we sustain this, that's when the idea of let's get, let's sell and let's minimize it. Let's go to some place smaller where we can reduce our expenses. Um, and that's really where the idea of the tiny house came about. Um, Honestly, in the beginning, I brought up the tiny house to Stephen years back to show him, look, if people can live in this little tiny space, why can't you get rid of the things in this one drawer? <laughs> and that's what I used to show him, look, look how they're doing it as motivation. Uh, and I even remember saying specifically, there is no way we would do this. We could not live in this kind of space, much less build one. Like, don't worry, because he looked at me really odd and weird and thought, you're crazy. You want me to live in this little space? And I said, no, I just want you to get motivated. And and get some inspiration and that then led to well, i mean i'm a numbers guy so as we started looking in a different way to be able to sustain the type of lifestyle that we wanted i started putting these numbers together and you know we're here in la so obviously la is a little bit different than you know big part of the country and that you know it, properties and rentals and things are incredibly incredibly expensive here so as we were looking to sell our home and, I and we were looking to transition into it, I started putting the numbers together in terms of downsizing to a smaller apartment, maybe purchasing a different property that wasn't as big. And the tiny house, I started putting in the numbers of the tiny house with building it, buying it, and how much would it cost when we would get the return on our investment. And it was incredible when the numbers with the tiny house just stood out and that to me was uh, you know it it just allowed me and it gave me more strength to to just really go out and do it that's interesting because i i think a big criticism that i hear from outside the tiny house movement is somebody just looks at the overall price tag and looks at the number of square feet and says that cost per square foot of these tiny houses is like double or triple of a bigger house what a waste of money but it's clear that you're seeing that it's not just about cost per square foot, but it's it's about the cost of living, you know, year after year in that space. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, it, it definitely starts with with the intention of why exactly is it that you're you're doing tiny and and with the lifestyle that we were having at that time, we got incredibly clear as to you know, what is it that we want out of our life? Where is it that, we, you know, what's our purpose? How is it that we want to be able to live? So it wasn't so much about the tiny house. It was more about the lifestyle. Yeah, it was about what the tiny house would be allow, you know, would be able to allow us to continue having the type of lifestyle that we have. And that took care of a lot of those, you know, living in a small place or, or the, you know, the difficult of the transition and the initial investment, because yes, initially you do put a lot of money to either whether you're buying it or you're building it uh, into this home. And I can completely see that where it's well compared to a square foot, it's expensive. But if you, you, in a sense, sort of amortize that across several different years, um, you know, through the future and then take into consideration more of the lifestyle and the other benefits that this living like this brings, you know, for us, it, it, it made sense. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So you, you have a, what you describe as a mega tiny house, I believe it's called the big casita. Um, so what, what are the specs? Like how many square feet and, you know, what are some special features that make it your house? 
Perfect. So we're on a 36 by 10 foot trailer. On wheels. So it's on, on wheels. wheels. It's on wheels. It's uh, so it's it's a little under 350 square feet, not including the loft space. So we have two lofts. One loft is is where is our son's room, and then the other loft is what we call our instead of calling it our walk-in closet, we call it our sliding closet. Rolling closet. Our rolling closet. I That's call right. it the rolling closet because we have a, a rolling stool up there. So as soon as we get up there, since we can't stand, we sit on this little rolling stool and there's enough space for us to sit. So we roll around picking out our clothes. Correct. We, we, have, a, we have a private room that converts into our office. And we have a you know, what we call a good size kitchen, uh, the home. So, you know, one of my big, you know, I've always had a dream. My dream was always to get a big home, bigger than what we had. And I wanted it to, to be completely a smart home. And funny enough, the home that we build is, is everything that I had dreamed about i mean our, our home is in a smaller footprint. in a smaller footprint our home is completely smart you know i i was able because of the small footprint i was able to put in all crazy smart gadgets into the home where i can control it with with an app so i can tell it where the air conditioning is going to turn on it tells me what the temperature is it tells me what the moisture control is and we also wanted something that we'd be able to work off we wanted something private because we have our son here and we were able to accommodate that in the small footprint that we have. Cool. Yeah. And I'm just looking at some photos on your site as you were talking and the the kitchen is, is, is big for a tiny house and it's beautiful. Like it looks like it's, you know, fully functional with full size, you know, full size range and, and everything. Yeah. You know, Yes, it has. Yeah, that that definitely was um, a huge consideration in how we designed or how I designed the space because at, in our big house, we had this big house, but we were always in the kitchen. We really never used the dining room except maybe for Thanksgiving and uh, the living room we'd use once in a while. We're always sitting around the uh, around the table in the kitchen. And so that's why we felt it important to um to have uh, the kitchen really be the central piece, the kitchen and dining space of the house. I'm curious how, you know, knowing that you you have a son and how did you design the house with, um, you know, a child, a, a growing child in mind? You know, is this something that you see as temporary or is this designed to be your house all the way up through as he grows up? Our plan is for it to be our house for the long haul. Long haul. Uh, however, you know, as, as we keep seeing our little seven-year-old bro, I don't know how much, how, how he'll fit up there in his room in the, in the near future. And so we, we did weigh that out and we did talk about that. And we felt that, you know, once he's older, if it's not something for him, he's really not enjoying it or really seeing that instead of this flow and this space is, you know, limiting us as a family, then we would consider uh, an alternate option, but that we would weigh that out when the time came. I really feel positive that we'll figure out a way to do it. I have heard of other families uh, get a, a second tiny house for their teenagers next, you know, next door or build a tree house or do other options or even grow out the space of, of their actual tiny house in order to accommodate for growing teenagers. And that's something we would con uh, consider in the future for now. And I think at least for the next four or five years until he's a teenager, we're good. <laughs> yeah, he's I mean, he's taken 
did Tiny House lifestyle incredibly well. He's he enjoys it. He loves talking about it. He is very very happy with his space. When he gets friends that come over to the house, they all see it as a like as a fun <laughs> a big playhouse like for a them. Big playhouse. I love climbing up and down into his room and his loft. We ended up doing ladders instead of stairs, um, and he they love it and he loves it. We've definitely seen a big improvement not only in our relationship it personally my relationship with him as a father given my background in the corporate lifestyle where I wasn't present in many of his early years because I was always working and traveling so much and then now that we have this current lifestyle that is is be it's affordable a lot because of the tiny house and I'm spending so much more time with him I really really see the transition that he's made from you know, four or five to where he's at right now at seven. That's awesome. Well, I want to get into the the dollars and the the price hacking because when we met, you mentioned that you price hacked your tiny house and that you could teach other people how to do the same. So tell me what is price hacking first and then how do you apply this to building a tiny house? So price hacking is looking at alternative ways to be able to get a discount on something. So, you know, not pay full price. So right? not, not pay, pay for retail. price. I, I've, I've always been, you know, I've always been one of those persons that I just don't like paying retail price for things. Who does? So, so through, through with my finance background and through the years, I've always looked at different ways to be able to get things at a discount. Um, and well, most uh, of us, I, I agree with you, like most of us don't like to pay full price, but uh, sometimes we don't know how or aren't motivated enough to figure out a way to get more than just a regular discount to really figure out how to pay less for it. And Stephen has always been great at doing that, not just with the tiny house here, but just in general with life and figuring uh, creative ways on how to pay less for things. So our, our friends and family are always coming to him to figure out how to get the best deal so he used that with the tiny house yeah and so how did you do it? <laughs> as I well as I started looking at the tiny house and initially I, I don't come from I don't have any background in building so my first move into this was looking at purchasing one and when I started pricing out our tiny house with tiny house builders on exactly what I wanted to for the tiny house the price was coming out between 110 and one hundred and twenty thousand dollars giving everything that we wanted in and our the size house. that we were looking and the at. size that we were looking. So when I saw that and I was like, wait, maybe we should just invest that type of money somewhere else. I started, you know, it kind of brought in a challenge and I said, well, let's see if I can one build it. And then two, if I can save the heck out of it. And that's exactly what we did. I, we, we built our house in a little over four months. It was a crazy, crazy build. I went hard into it. And and as we started doing that, I started applying different strategies such as buying gift cards on discounts, looking at uh, different discount vouchers that are available online. So I tell a lot of people that because you know, a lot of people think that this may be difficult and time consuming to do. And it wasn't. It's literally going in online and then being able to know where to be able to search to, for example, get a gift card for Lowe's at you know, 10, 15% off because somebody is selling their gift card at a discount. And then you tack that. So I call that piggyback discounting because I was tacking on gift cards to 
let's say there was a material at Lowe's and they had a 10% voucher. So then now I have a 25% off. And then I was tacking that on to, uh, let's say, a rebate or the credit card that I was using was giving a specific discount to be able to purchase something in a particular period of time. So as you start tacking on all these discounts, I realized that I was saving anywhere between 30 to 80% of the retail cost of just walking into, let's say, Lowe's or Home Depot. And then I started looking at other ways of being able to, let's say, approach a builder that had excess uh, material. So then I was able to get windows at like 80% off. And all that stuff really added to the point that a $120,000 house that was uh, at a price that we ended up building our house for a little over $50,000. Yeah. And obviously the biggest cost saving there is building it yourself. So once you take out that labor, it drastically reduces, you know, the amount that you end up spend- spending if you do it yourself. And another thing that I noticed that, you know, was surprising and nice to figure out was the the window situation when we were pricing out all the windows it was coming up to close to five thousand dollars for all the windows that we wanted uh, so instead of going through and buying brand new windows that way we ended up going and still finding pretty new windows or brand new windows um, as Stephen mentioned either through a builder that was um, selling them or at like a habitat for humanity restore uh, thrift shops that had actually have brand new windows for sale and then designing around those specs of those windows versus the other way around. And then that ended up saving us a ton of money. We end up a total of windows. We paid less than $500. Wow. That's a, yeah. Windows are a big area that are very expensive. And, and I, I'm blushing over here cause I'm the fool that designed my house for a certain set of windows. And then I went and bought them and it was really expensive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you. I mean, Ethan, you say something very key on uh, on your book in that you know it's a very good idea to design around some of the materials that you have, and materials that you can get at a discount. And a lot of people think that you know sometimes that the approach there is to have recycled or used, uh, but sometimes that's not necessarily the case. And I think that you, if if you use different strategies to be able to get, you know, new stuff or recycled stuff at a discount, then you're, you know, you're ahead of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I, w- I want to back up, actually, because you talked about buying gift cards for like big box stores at a discount. So do you mean to tell me that I could go online and find somebody selling, a, you know, $100 Lowe's gift card for, for $85? Absolutely. Where They're- do you go to find those? So there's a, for example, there's a website that's called Gift Card Granny, giftcardgranny.com. And, you know, it's a, it's a platform where people go in and sell gift cards that they don't need. Uh, And so you have a lot of people that, you know, maybe they return something at Lowe's and, you know, now they got a, you know, they got a gift card out of it for 200 bucks and they would rather have the cash. So they'll sell it for 150 bucks. So, you know, you've got 20, 25% off easily on the sale of that card. And and you can start, so you purchase that card. It's it's very secure. You know, the, the many of the websites that sell You didn't this, have any problems with those websites, did you? Absolutely. I mean, there's other Not. strategies to be able to to be able to get kind of gift cards at a greater discount. There's obviously a little bit more risk 
uh, on on those strategies. But I, I would say the safest one is to go to a site like like Gift Card Granny and then be able to get something at anywhere between five to fifteen percent off. Nice. And so now it's making sense because then you stack that discount on top of the other discounts that you might have as well. Correct. Was, so oh. in, in my in my case, I bought most of my material at Lowe's. Um, you know, so there are there are different. So, for example, Lowe's comes up with various different discounts at different periods of time. And it's a matter of just knowing when those discounts are coming out. Looking for them. Yes, where to look for them or when they're coming out with, let's say, a 10% off voucher. And and if you sign up for a 10% off voucher, so let's say you've got now a 20% gift card on discount that you can use to go to Lowe's and use their 10% off voucher. So now you got 30% off easily. Now, yeah, now if you end up buying through, let's say, a rebate program, right, like which one was a rebate program that you used, and you end up ordering everything online through Lowe's, you get a percentage back through that rebate program. And then if you actually pay the, you know, whatever amount that it was with a credit card that gives you back points or that, again, gives something back to you, then there's another percentage there. And so at the end of the day, it's really closer to 30% that you end up uh, saving. Correct. And then let's say you're using a credit card to be able to use all this. Well, then now you're, you know, now you're gaining some points from the purchases that you're doing through through a credit card, which you can, you know, we ended up using our points to go to Disney. Oh no, to go to uh, nice. Legoland. Nice. <laughs> our son's birthday. That's great. Well, so okay, so we've covered like our big box store strategy, and you talked about finding windows for for less. Um, any tips on trailers? Because I know that's another big expense for a, for a movable tiny house. Yeah. So I mean, one of the things that I that I try to teach people is obviously, you know, evaluate the financial considerations in going tiny. And a lot of it definitely starts with a putting a plan in place, putting your budget in place, looking at, you know, having it in front of you so you're able to create a very strategic plan on where you can save money. In regards to trailers. That's that's one of the things that I tell people not to skimp on. You know, I, I don't care how much money you save on building your home and on the materials that you put in. If you don't have the foundation for it, all that money is going to go to waste because it's the trade yeah. can potentially go to waste because the trailer is ultimately the biggest thing that you have. So there, what I do with with in helping people is just helping them helping them evaluate the type of features that they want. You know, doing price comparisons across different builders and and creating a plan of exactly what is it that they want to use their trailer for. But I definitely tell them to not go the way of a used trailer or to skimp out. There's ways to be able to save in other areas of your tiny house build than to try and get, you know, a few hundred dollars off on your trailer. Great. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that advice not to skimp on the trailer. Were there... Any pieces of your house that you had to hire out and, you know, have a professional contractor or electrician or plumber or anything like that? Yeah. So, I mean, funny enough, out of my out of the fifty thousand dollars that we spent on our house, twelve thousand dollars went into the trailer and fifteen thousand dollars actually went on labor. So, I, I mean, when we say that we save on the labor, we save on my labor to be able to build the house. But to be 
to build a house in four and a half months, you can't just do it with one person. So we actually flew in my dad in to be able to help us uh, build the house, but he had to take some time off of his work, so we ended up paying him. And then I also hired on and off a handyman to be able to help us with very specific things, um, such as yeah, so some of the some of the details. So we did hire out some help with the plumbing because we just didn't want to deal with tedious of, of of running lines yeah. um so it was mainly the plumbing and then the handyman for some of those details once the house and the walls and all that was up uh his dad is an electrician by trade so he was able to do uh, most of the electricity Correct. um and they between steven and him ended up doing all the building and such but for the systems it was mainly the plumbing that we outsourced. we hired yeah, that we outsourced those are things that it's smart to outsource too because they are areas where if you mess up, you could really create big problems for yourself down the road. You know, electrical electrical problems can cause fires. Plumbing issues can cause mega damage. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you, you know, you wanted to save money, but that wasn't the only driving force. I mean, ultimately, it's not all about saving money. It's about building a house that's safe and you know provides you and your family with the shelter that you need. Correct. That's the most important. Um, however, with Stephen still not wanting to figure out how to pay full price for something, even with let's say the plumbing, what he did was go through a very reputable and certified, obviously, um, you know, vendor for it. But he went to them and told them what we were doing. Look, this is the plan. We're building this house. This is the first time we're doing and build a rapport with this plumbing service in this company. Told them what we were doing. They came in to see everything. And Stephen Offord said, hey, look, we're pretty handy. We're building this ourselves. If there's anything in the work here that I can do myself while you're here and help you, you know, to get a discount, I'd be glad to do it because, you know, ultimately I'm trying to figure out how to do this build um, for the least amount of possible. And they were very receptive because, you know, they found the story and what we were doing um interesting and they said sure and they allowed steven to come in and help them instead of them hiring somebody else or them doing some of the work that was easy to just give to steven they gave it to him and gave him a, a nice discount yep and i also i also told them look you you know you help me do this and and you give me a discount and i'll go all, all over online doing amazing reviews if obviously if you do a great job i will go all over online doing amazing reviews on your you know, on your business and what you've done. And, and I would tell them, you know, not only that, but now you can say for your own business that you've done a tiny house. And I, I think thinking outside the box and then giving them different ideas and being able, just being able to negotiate, you know, having a little bit of that, that negotiating that you can provide of what's the benefit that they can also get out of it allowed us to be able to bring prices down on, on various things that would normally cost a lot of money. Nice. How about parking? Parking. That's <laughs> that's probably one of the number one questions that we get more so here in LA. Um, we're so we're we have our tiny house parked uh, in a very nice neighborhood. We're about 20 25 minutes from downtown LA and uh, you know we're we're actually in a pretty big lot on a cul-de-sac. We've got maybe a 10,000 square foot lot for our little tiny house. And and, you know, one of the things that I tell people a lot is, again, thinking outside the box. Uh, when I started looking for tiny, for for parking space and I started asking about parking for a tiny house, 
specific specifically here in LA where not a lot of you know a lot of people watch the show but not a lot of people know about Tiny House or, or what it's all about and you know there's a little misconception with some of the the stuff that goes within the Tiny House movement so I stopped going the route of asking people for parking for a tiny house and I started going into looking for parking spaces for an RV or for a car. And then I, you know, so I, I found the spot. Once I found the spot, I rented it out for an RV uh, and I started making rapport with the owner. I realized that the owner wanted to make extra money out of a, you know, empty land that he had in the city. And after a period of just getting to know him and introducing him to the tiny house movement, you know, I, I came with him and say, hey, you can make a lot more money than just renting it up for your RV. And sure enough, we started negotiating the price of the lot and, and I was able to get it. So I tell people that it's it, it's difficult if if the approach that you, if you don't have a plan in place or you don't necessarily look at different strategies to be able to approach it but if, if if you have a specific goal in mind it's a matter of just going out there and taking the actions to get it done nice it sounds like the bottom line is that it's all about being a little bit creative and seeking alternative seeking alternatives rather than just going with the easiest route definitely and relationship building you know whether you think that you may need it now in the future, it's always just good to build relationships and build connections and get to know people and help people out too. A lot of people helped have helped us through this movement because in the past we had helped them out somehow. So I think it's also coming into that mindset of remembering, you know, that it would, it, we can be a community. And, and in order to do that, though, we have to help each other out within the tiny house uh, movement and out. Well, that's a great segue because one thing that I like to ask all of my guests um, is what are two or three resources that helped you along your tiny house building journey that you would like to share with, with the listeners here? What was the resource? I mean, um, so I definitely, I mean, when, when we started in this journey, you know, we, we ended up getting your stuff because I, I think, you know, tiny house decisions and just being able to know kind of, you know, how to weigh things out, was was important and then i think for me it was picking one re picking picking one or two i think a lot of people get very overwhelmed with more so with the tiny hub movement that it's growing and so many resources that are out there and you know you go into youtube and you can just bin watch on on building a tiny house and you, so I, I tell people to pick a few resources that they're comfortable with that they trust that they feel that obviously who you're getting the resource from, that they know what they're talking about. And I tell people to stick with that, to not get very overwhelmed with just everything that's out there and to go with a few things. That way you can start taking baby steps with the resources that you're getting from, from you know, just a few people that, that really know what they're talking about. So it's being able to gain that trust. So in, in my case, I, I would... I would say that that's my that's my tip. That's my resource. So it's not necessarily going out and and having specific places. Uh, you know, obviously for me was the financial approach to it, and that's what I'm trying to help people with the financial considerations of doing so. But it was picking one thing and then just going with that, and then taking action towards making it happen 
for the bigger picture of what you're trying to create. So it's not just about the tiny house. It's about the big picture of where you're trying to, what the lifestyle that you're trying to create with that. And just to add to that, for us, um, we also worked a lot with, during our build, with Latch Collective uh, here in L.A. And so they were a great resource of just people that are interested, were interested in the movement. We were really one of their first, the first builds, members um, that actually built their house, one of the first ones. And uh, But they, even through all that, they came and they helped us uh, at certain times to build and just kept uh, providing that support and encouragement. And so that was definitely helpful. Yes. Great. And it looks like you have now created a free resource of your own, um, a tiny house budgeting tool. To, can you tell me about it? Yeah, definitely. So you know, one of the things that I've that I realized in my search of going tiny was that there is not a lot of information or there was a ton of information regarding the cost of a tiny, but it was all over the place. You know, so I, uh, with my background, I realized that I can try and help people to be able to figure out um, what is the cost of your tiny house. How do you evaluate going tiny based on those financial considerations? How do you manage your own finances to be able to know that this is the type of lifestyle that you want to be able to create and how you can go about creating it? So. So I'm starting with with that. I'm giving workshops on those financial considerations and then helping people evaluate all the various resources that they can have in going tiny. So I'm starting with the tiny house budget and giving those to people so they can easily estimate the cost of their tiny. So then they can go out and and do price comparisons or at least get an idea if that's something that they can afford. I think a lot of people have a misconception that that a tiny house is 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 going to be really really, um, I would say low cost to build, and I think a lot of people are get very surprised once they start pricing things out and realize that that it may not be as low cost as they thought it would be. So I want to be able to ha- help them evaluate that. Yeah, and the worksheets also include the cost of our uh, tiny house. So we included you know in line item of pretty much what we spent on ours just to help in comparison. We're on the larger side, uh, so it's just a reference point, but hopefully that'll help people better understand a little bit more of also the percentage of where really does the money go when you're, when you're building that also will help give them a good overview of that. Yeah. I break, th- I break things down in, in what I'm calling the true cost to build, you know, cause I think that it's not just the cost to be able to, it's not the material cost of the actual building or let's say buying of a tenant house. There's a lot of other considerations that go into that, such as the land that you're going to put it in, such as your monthly budget once you're living in it, or all the things that come before, you know, the pre-build in terms of where you're going to build it, how you're going to build it, the, the equipment, resources you buy, the, the resources, all those things need to be considered once you're actually doing a budget for your tiny house. Well, it looks really, really helpful. And I think it's it's awesome that you're sharing your particular expertise with the tiny house world. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. This has been really helpful. I want to thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Ethan. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Stephen and Sarai for being guests on the show today. 
You can find the show notes and links mentioned in this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash L-T-L-A, which stands for Living Tiny in L-A. So again, thetinyhouse.net slash L-T-L-A. This week, I want to tell you about something different. Registration for my private online tiny house community, Tiny House Engage, is open until Sunday. I've never talked about it on the show before, but Tiny House Engage is a dedicated community for people who are taking action to plan, design, and build their tiny houses. It features a private group with accountability and togetherness, a balance of members who are still planning and others who are already living tiny to ensure there's always something new to learn, You get to ask unlimited questions from me and from the members in the group. And there is a dedicated video training library where you have unlimited access to hours of information to help you through the planning and building phases of your tiny house. In addition, members of Tiny House Engage get to listen in live to these podcast episodes and text in their questions. So if you felt like you wanted to ask our guests specific questions, becoming a member of Tiny House Engage is your front row ticket to these interviews as they happen. To learn more and to sign up, visit thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash engage. And if you listen to this episode after Sunday the 14th, don't worry. Registration might be closed, but we open the doors every four to six weeks. So if registration is closed when you get there, don't worry. Just sign up to be notified when registration for Tiny House Engage opens again, and I'll send you an email as soon as we open registration. All right, I hope to meet you inside Tiny House Engage. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.